This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I am joined by the wonderful invention that is the internet by Wes Rucker and the great former Tennessee pitcher, Will Heflin, who knows a thing or two about pitching in a super regional and pitching in the NCAA tournament. Actually, I don't know if, Will, did you pitch in that super regional against LSU? Because you only played two games, Tennessee that is. No, I didn't pitch. Ah. Didn't do two and out. Well, well, see, look, now now we have a combined experience here on the Diamond Balls podcast of uh, Super Regional pitching. So, ha, take that, Will Wes. How are you, my friend? Doing all right, doing all right. The uh, got some uh, some pretty crazy storms rolling through Knoxville right about now, but uh, hanging in there. I think it, you're, there's almost there's there's no question that you're going to hear some like thunder clapping and stuff in the background. It's this is an old old house and thin wall you know you're gonna hear it when when, when uh, if it stays like it has been you're gonna hear it it's pretty funny in in Hattiesburg on Saturday it was raining once the rain started it, it was it was a monsoon and it was thundering pretty good and of course everybody in Knoxville and in the state of Tennessee got their jokes off on on social media but the the tide turned because apparently today Knoxville got that weather and it's been a, a pretty nice day in Hattiesburg other than it uh, being hot it was definitely a great day for the Tennessee Volunteers well I guess somewhat of a mixed bag I, I think it ended up being a, a good day because of it, it was able to even up the Hattiesburg Super Regional uh, it's been a wild weekend obviously Tennessee has played two games since we last spoke so we have a lot to to digest and discuss so we'll try to put together some coherent thoughts like we tried to do last week after Tennessee knocked off Clemson in 14 innings. Uh, but long story short, there were two delays in game one. It was suspended on Saturday night and picked back up at 11 a.m. local time here in Hattiesburg on Sunday morning. Uh, Tennessee did come out swinging, scored three runs. They were down by four, four nothing, and made it a one-run game courtesy of Jared Dickey with a big knock there. Uh, but Southern Miss did pull out. Uh, a win in that game because Tennessee was unable to do any more damage after that Jared Dickey hit. Uh, but odds stacked against them, Mr. Heflin, the Tanner Hall game. You got Chase Dolander on the bump, and it, it and it got shaky there for a second, but Tennessee was able to respond in a big way, uh, and a lot of people deserve a lot of credit. But I think you first start with Blake Burke and his big blast that made it a one-run game. Uh, after Southern Miss did jump out to a 4 nothing lead. Burke hit a two-run shot uh, after a Griffin Merritt RBI single, made it 4-3, uh, and Tennessee, Tennessee went on to score six runs 
in that top of the fourth inning. And I think also by doing that, obviously it was great for the offense to take the lead as well, but I also think it calmed down Chase Dolander. Yeah, 100%. I think the biggest part of that is it it happened right after um, we gave up the four spot, and then you see um, Doe settle in and kind of get us into that ninth inning, flirted with a with a complete game. So that was that was just huge, and and you're fighting for your life at that point. Um, so I mean, you know, in a in a short span there, you're really looking you're really looking pretty grim. You're already down one zero. You go down four zero. So for them to throw a six spot on there like right afterward. Um, it, it just can't be stated how huge that is in terms of just the the vibe in the in the dugout, and you know, obviously watching on TV, there's there's clear momentum swings. So it's interesting to that it happened that way. I don't know if um you saw anything in the dugout being being in the press box where maybe they had a, a quick meeting or quick huddle up, or if they just kind of went on about it as business as usual and it just worked out that way. I don't know what you see. It just kind of worked out that way uh, from my perspective, Wes. And I thought the reason being was that a lot of different people played hero. um, And it was still early in the game and a lot of baseball left to be played. So using the word hero kind of feels weird. But it was an inning of heroics, in my opinion, because, I mean, it felt like at the time when Southern Miss hit that three-run home run, Wes, it felt like a knockout punch again. I recognize that there was a ton of baseball left, but you had just gone down 1-0. Tanner Hall is pitching, and you've heard all this conversation about Tanner Hall, and they hit that three-run homer off the scoreboard, and it felt like, oh, boy, here we go. Tennessee season, it's coming to an end, at least from the outside looking in. Obviously, the team didn't feel that way because they responded in a great way, but that response started with Christian Moore immediately doubling into the left field corner. Griffin Merritt, hitting an opposite field RBI single, uh, Blake Burke stepping up and finally running into one. Uh, and then even after that, they didn't stop there, obviously. Cal Stark works a, a big walk with with seeing nine pitches. Uh, Maui Ahuna, who has had a, a tough go of it these first two games from a strikeout standpoint, hits a single the opposite way. Uh, and then I believe it was Hunter Inslee who was hit by a pitch, and then Jared Dickey comes up big again. So it, it was a lot of different people chipping in and playing heroics there in that fourth inning. Yeah, and it started just a, a tiny bit before that because if if Zane Denton doesn't make that play there defensively not long after that home run, there's a chance that 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 maybe somebody's getting hot in a hurry and and Dolander's coming out of that game. Uh, I mean, it, it's four nothing at that point, and you know some people would say you know unless that's your dude, you kind of you make the move already. But since it's one of your dudes, you keep him in there, trust him. But if that ball gets by Denton, and, and you know Denton has not had tremendous range defensively, like he'll make the plays in front of him all the time, like pretty consistently. But when he's got to go left or right, sometimes he, you know, he's not Machado over there. You know what I mean? Like he's not going over to get all those things. But he went and got that one. Uh, that that was a hell of a play, and that was able to kind of they were kind of able to to steady it a little bit right there. And then speaking of dudes, Moore comes up and hits that double. And then, you know, Merritt, who really quietly had a really, really nice day, four hits and wasn't trying to play hero ball. He was just, you know, you were 
facing some guys who who were you know moving the ball around a lot today. Not a lot of high velocity. You know, if they've got high velocity, they they may not be at Southern Miss. You know, unless they're, 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 let's just call it what it is, right? I mean, but you got a guy out there who's you know people kept talking about Maddox. I thought he was almost more like Hudson, Tim Hudson. I mean, the way that that ball was just dancing and and changing speeds on it and, and all that movement, it looked really really good. Um, but Tennessee had some decent at bats off of him early, just couldn't get anything to show for it. And then Merritt maturely takes that ball the other way. Then Burke, you know, runs into one that hit the church and may have crossed state lines if if not for the church there. And then it's game on, right? I mean, at that point, like you're up, and sometimes you don't you don't get your best until you absolutely need it, until you're pushed into a corner and to kind of see what you're made of. And and Tennessee had some stuff there. Will, what'd you see from Tanner Hall? Because to me, I, I kind of wondered before the game, knowing he was low nineties and was more of a finesse pitcher. And I don't say that to to disrespect him or anything. He's a really, really good pitcher. And I believe MLB.com has him as a top one hundred prospect. Like he's gonna be a professional mm-hmm. baseball player for sure. But I, I kind of wondered if he'd have the same success against a Tennessee lineup that is very talented and obviously not a Sun Belt lineup and how that low nineties stuff would play and and Tennessee was was seeing it well early and often. Even before their big big inning, I felt like they were barreling up some baseballs. Yeah, I mean if you're not shoot ninety six now you're considered finesse. So, you know, even at low nineties, he's uh he's technically, you know, a sinker guy, finesse guy, if you will. Um, but I think it had more to do with our approach and determination rather than, you know, his stuff being bad or not hitting his spots. I thought he was pretty sharp. Um, even some balls that we barreled up early, he had in the right spots, but when your back's against the wall like that and you, and you run into, you know, we let's call a spade a spade. The Tennessee offense has kind of been very night and day, um, the whole year it's kind of like one bad game one good game and um or really kind of lately it's been like one bad game three good games um so hopefully that continues but you know i i just think this time of year um it's hard it's hard when a team is that determined to just fight for their lives um you kind of knew there there would be some fight at some point um and so i just i just think it was more we had a better approach and we had better swings rather than, rather than him. And maybe one small piece of it is that yes, they gave him the extra days rest, but the dudes also had a lot of workload this year. And he, um, he threw twice in the regional once on, on really short rest. And he just had to carry a huge load to get him to this point. Um, and so that may or may not have affected his sharpness um, as as he got later into the into the start. So maybe he had fatigued a little bit quicker than normal. I think it just had more to do with we made some really big swings at the right time. Right, and, and that Blake Burke swing, I mean, it, that that pitch wasn't a bad pitch. I no, mean, it was below the knees. Not at all. And and Blake Burke went down and got it. I I almost think that, and, and I know Chase Dolander's final line what was nearly a complete game final line, but at, within the moment of chase giving up that three run Homer, it almost felt like he was pitching better than what the scoreboard indicated because even the pitch that he threw, if I remember correctly, it wasn't really a, a, a 
a meatball down the middle. It, it was a, a fairly good pitch. Or, or no, let me reframe that. It was it was the one pitch in that inning he would like to have back uh, because it was kind of a bloop single, and then he did leave it over the middle of the plate. But it was kind of the one bad pitch that he had thrown to that point. So kind of both pitchers ran into some tough luck. I think the difference is that Tennessee immediately responding with that six runs to, to maybe put Southern Miss a little bit back in its place settled Chase Dolander down while it put more pressure on Tanner Hall. Yeah, I, I thought the the pitch to, to Burke, it's almost like getting a steady diet of off-speed pitches at the knees or lower for like six weeks has helped. <laughs> you know, it's, at some point he was like, you know, it, and, and, it, and two, I think Tennessee's credit too, there were a lot of times when early in the game, especially when Southern Miss was in fastball counts, they were throwing changeups time and time and time and time again. And that's a really good plan, but you got to mix it up a little bit. And at some point you just wondered, like at some point, and I know it's easy to say this to a hitter and it's much more difficult for the hitter to understand this when you're up there on the mound and kind of juices are flowing, but they were getting a lot of change-ups and off-speed in, in those advantage counts. And at some point, they were going to have to make that adjustment, and they did. And Blake Burke put a, one of the best swings that I've ever seen him put on an off-speed pitch. I think the way it broke, I think it was a curveball. I'm not positive about that. Um, it, it looked like it was kind of dipping down to the left and not the right. I don't think it was a changeup or, or two-seamer. And, and he just blasted it, just absolutely blasted it. And after he does that, everybody kind of relaxes a little bit, and Dolander gets to get into rhythm. And and when he gets in rhythm, I mean, it's – you know, you just haven't seen it this year. It's been kind of – for whatever reason, Will could probably speak to this better than either of us could. You just – you get you go through those times as a pitcher where just for a while ball doesn't feel as great in your hand just some something's not right and, and you know he's had a couple of adjustments this year with the mound and and places he's he's put his feet and other things and but he just it hadn't really felt like he was able to to let loose and just play and, and I think in the final six or so innings of that ball game we actually kind of for maybe just the second or third time this season got to see Chase Dolander look like himself and, and he was absolutely cruising. Yeah, he was, and I touched on it before the series that we kind of hadn't seen him get into that rhythm as well, but when he does, he can make a really good lineup look awful when he's in that rhythm, and we kind of saw that from that point on was kind of the kind of the smoothest he had been. Um, but part of that is just, and I hate saying this, is just baseball. Like, you almost need a couple hard line drives to go right to somebody, and it seems like he just – for whatever reason, cannot catch a couple breaks and just, you know, get into that rhythm a little earlier. And the other thing is it's a lot easier to pitch with an eight-run lead than it is in a two-to-one game. I mean, he got on the mound every time last year, and it's like, okay, I'm probably going to get a seven spot (laughs) within the first six innings. So – let me keep this thing under three and see how deep I can get. Like it, it's just different. And it, you know, whether he handled that pressure, um, the best way possible is, you know, to be determined. Um, but it, it is a little bit more difficult to pitch when you know that you do have a little bit less wiggle room because we've tended to kind of, for whatever reason, not be as offensive when he pitches. Um, like we've seen Andrew Lindsay and, and Beam sometimes get a little bit more help than him for whatever reason. Beam and that's gets a lot of it. Yeah, Beam gets a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and to your point, Will, about 
those line drives, finding somebody that can help a pitcher kind of run into some luck. Uh, Chase credited that diving play that Zane Denton made in that same bottom of the third inning. Uh, the three-run home run happened, and then that very next batter, I forget who it was, but smoked a ball down the line, essentially, and Zane Denton, like Wes pointed out earlier, made a great diving play on it made the throw over to first, and it seemed like at that moment, even a little bit before Tennessee went on to, to score six runs, that moment helped settle him down. Uh, and he said that Zane turned around and, and told him, like, hey, I got you, and, and that helped him. So it, it seems as all, almost as if he's so tense to start games because he he is not working with the offense that he was working with last year. And that's not this year's offense is bad. It's just not one of the all-time great offenses that college baseball has has ever seen. So uh, you you saw a, a different chase, kind of pre-lead chase when he was having to almost be perfect. And it's hard to be. It's hard to pitch well when you're pitching to be perfect. That will I'm sure. You can obviously speak to the fact that when you try to be perfect on the mound, that's when everything goes wrong. When you try to be perfect at the plate, that's when everything goes wrong. You you just can't think that way or or, or work in that manner. And and Zane Denton making that diving play at, at third base helped him, and uh, he was lights out. I mean, retired 18 of 19 uh, to finish the game before he gave up that leadoff walk in the ninth. Uh, retired 12 straight at one point. I believe it was only one walk he gave up. Uh, but after that big home run, I mean, he was just absolutely terrific. Dotting the fastball, the slider looked really good, mm -hmm. had a ton of confidence, uh, was not afraid to run his mouth. That Southern Miss, when Southern Miss started it, uh, not afraid to to give the the arms up, shoulder shrug, like are you not entertained look, which was really cool. Uh, Chase Dolander was absolutely dynamite. And uh, Wes, even to close out the game, Chase Burns coming in and only throwing 10 pitches, I believe, uh, after the walk I that think it was six. gave up, I think it was six. But, yeah, it, it was. It was not a lot. <laughs> uh, the the point I'll pull. I'll pull up the exact amount right now as we live podcast. Just great podcasting habits here on uh, GoVols247.com. It was ten pitches, six strikes. Uh, aha, so aha! Essentially, we were both right. Yeah. Um, well, no, you but, were right. I mean, you know, you there, there, there's no there, there's no both on that one. You you were right, but yeah, I mean, Burns was. Fantastic. And there's been a lot of talk about it. You know, there's been times where Burns has come in for Dolander and it hadn't always gone great. And you say, is that maybe the guy that you want to pair him with? Because, you know, Tennessee's got all power arms for the most part. So so it's not like you're going to be bringing in Burns for, you know, Sewell or something like that, like, like what would be a nice change of pace or something like that, or after Connell for a couple innings or something like that. You know, it's it, it's Tennessee's going from power arms to power arms. But that, that Dolander to Burns bridge just hasn't always been great and man burns was absolutely locked in today because you know you know vitello really didn't want to use burns unless he really kind of felt the need to um and it worked out great that he only needed about you know 10 pitches not six 10 pitches um that's not even that's like a dent of a bullpen session i mean that that that's that's almost nothing you know you got to get warm and so it's obviously something but you know they, they can still have him throw plenty tomorrow if he needs to i would imagine so um, but he came in and and was not phased at all by the moment. I mean, pitching with four four run lead and guy on first is not quite the same as coming in in a two one game. But still, it's super regional. You lose, you go home. Uh, it's a big moment. And and Burns is a guy who, you know, when he's good, he is just 
he's damn near impossible to hit when he's really, really good because you're, you're just guessing. Am I getting the fastball? Am I getting the slider? You just have to guess before he throws it, which one's it going to be? And if you guess right, you still might not hit it. But if you guess wrong, you're not even going to come close. You're going to be a foot off the ball. And, and, and so when, when he's right, he's really, really good. Yeah, good. there's no reacting on, on that. But I will say I think part of that is the disadvantage to being down 0-1 is like you're not messing around. As soon as the base runner got on, yeah. he was like – he was probably in the hotel last night, watched Stanford in Texas, and said, I want zero part of that. Um, for those that didn't watch that game, Stanford was up 5-2, to two, uh, headed into the ninth. Texas ties the game without getting a hit and then proceeds to um, win 7-5. to five. So, you know, I, it's hard to fault him for going to um, yeah. the horse right there, regardless of the four-run lead or not. You got to get to tomorrow. So, you know, no complaints there, and he certainly has plenty left in the tank to give us tomorrow. And, you know, Wes, we, we kind of have talked a lot this season, and it's a popular conversation amongst uh, Vault Twitter. Um, and I'm hesitating because yeah, I want to I want to know where this is going already. I'm already you 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 have my interest, sir. Well, I I hesitated because it's 9:55 on a Sunday night, and we're waiting to find out when Game Three will start. And I thought Tennessee baseball was tweeting out what time it started. But I'm hoping it's five o'clock, like Will is, is signaling to me. That that's what it says on DraftKings. We'll, we'll see if that happens. I hope so, because if if TV has its way, it'll probably be prime time seven or eight o'clock. And if they were really smart, they would start at eleven a.m. local time tomorrow, because the weather forecast after like three or four o'clock does not look good tomorrow. Uh, but I got distracted again. Bad podcast habits. By no, me, I, I think it's uh, probably here. it probably comes down to Stanford, Texas, right? If there's a game three there, that's on the West Coast, so you just play that game three or three and a half hours after the Tennessee one, so you've got programming for seven or eight hours. And if not, then you got to decide. Well, to, do do Tennessee and Southern Miss have to bite the bullet and go in prime time? Yep. No, I, I think you're spot on. I, I do know Southern Miss sent the NCAA and ESPN the weather report for tomorrow, so. We'll see if they make the smart decision or the business decision, and we typically know what decision is made uh, when it comes down to, to business. Um, but, no, before I got distracted by my bad podcast habits, uh, I was going to bring up the fact that we've had discussions uh, throughout the season at times, and it's a popular conversation amongst uh, Vol baseball fans about – does Tony Vitello leave guys in too long? Does he pull them? It's Tony's one one downside. It's the one thing he doesn't do well. And I thought to just exactly what Will was just talking about, I, I thought Tony handled Dolander perfectly today in, in that game. He had Chase Burns ready to come in at a moment's notice just because, again, you're down 1-0. You can't afford to play around. The The earliest sign of trouble, you, you put Burns in and and let him finish it off but also like doe was cruising there's also no need to to overthink and, and maybe put burns in a little sooner than you need to because doe was still giving you good stuff for as much as we talk about tony vitello and whether he makes good pitching decisions in game i thought he would i thought he handled it perfectly in that game too today yeah will could speak to this better than i could but i think that that vitello's basic strategy throughout most of his tenure early on he had to do whatever he could to try to win games but I think what he would like to do is he he sorts he sort of starts to 
the leash kind of gets a little bit longer as the season goes on, but you, you usually won't get, you know, to 100 pitches until a certain part of the season unless it's a weird circumstance. Um, but kind of, you know, the last couple of weeks of the regular season, postseason, he kind of he kind of lets you off the leash a little bit then if, you, if, you're, if you're good and you've earned it and, and you're in good shape. And we may have seen today what happens when, you know, Tanner Hall had been pushed quite a bit recently, been taxed, and maybe that – made him just a little bit less sharp and maybe that was a problem against Tennessee's lineup and maybe just maybe that Dolander has not thrown a ton of pitches this season maybe he was fresher and you know they probably could have finished that that ninth inning if, if needed to they just you know they they had plenty of options to go to behind him but yeah you know, I I think that's probably you know I think the way that Vitello and Anderson manage those staffs I, I commend them for that because they're like Clemson's guys in that way they just don't they just don't like to tax them because you you've got million million multi million dollar assets there and you want to win you want to win championships but these are also your guys and you're trying to help them for the future so you got to kind of play both sides of that 100% and it's kind of like umpiring to me like um you just want consistency whether it's whether it's right or wrong um and so we saw him do we saw him go to Burns at South Carolina it didn't work out he sticks to it at Southern Miss it works out today. I think, you know, one, one part, obviously he's grown in a lot of areas since he's gotten to Tennessee, um, not only from the program, but just his head coaching. And I think he's obviously gotten more comfortable and more experienced, but he is a little bit more um, consistent in the, in those decision makings. And you can kind of, if you really try to think along with him, you can almost predict when and where yep. he's going to go at, at some point. And he said it early in his, in his presser. And we talked about it, um, talking about Sewell, you get to this time, this time of year, you just want guys that you can put in and you cross your arms and you say, you know what, I trust him. I'm good with, with whatever happens. Right. And, and Burns is certainly that guy to him. So, you know, when he goes to him, when he goes to Sewell, when he goes to Halverson, it's kind of like, you know what, you made the call, like just put your arms back and live with it. And I think, you know, he and Frank do a really good job of, of finding a core group each year that they trust and riding those guys. And that's what you have to do, especially this time of year. Um, and to your point about not taxing guys, when you do have guys out of the bullpen that you can trust, not every school has what we have certainly out of the bullpen. You don't feel like you have to extend though when he, when he's ready to come out of the game, you don't have to extend, you know, Lindsay, when he just doesn't have it that day, clearly, and you don't have to extend burns to or beam tomorrow um, for at whatever point in the game, when you feel like he's ready to come out because you trust what's behind him uh, just as much as anything. Yeah. And you just hate, you don't want to see like that situation in Indiana state was it, or, or the Indiana state TCU or that they got the, I forget, I, I'm, I'm going to blank on his name, but the lefty throws like 97 and you get to this point in the season and he he's grabbing for his arm and you're like, oh, no. I, you almost, you know, for every kind of, you know, Zach Joyce situation where it's not, where it's okay, there seems like there's four or five where it's just not okay. And you see that and you know how much money that kid's worth and you just cringe. And you can avoid that too, which is nice. I mean, a lot of that's just luck, but, you know, that you don't have to yeah, tax him too much. It doesn't happen. Exactly. And knock on wood, they've been extremely fortunate yeah. overall with, with arm health in the pitching staff. And, you know, a lot of that goes to Quentin Eberhardt and obviously Frank Anderson and V managing workloads, but you know, that, that definitely plays a role into it. So you hope that continues for, 
decades, but um, they've been extremely fortunate to have guys healthy in terms of all. I, I do want to go back before we catch a break and uh, talk about a point or two from that game one loss kind of gets lumped in and, and lost in the midst of, of Tennessee saving its season with that game two win. But I thought there were early signs will in that game when it started on Saturday afternoon, it didn't quite look like Tennessee was was ready to play in, in the sense of not that they weren't there from a mentality standpoint or an effort standpoint, but it it just it just wasn't their day at the park to, to that point when it got suspended. Um, but when they came back this morning and certainly with the way that they started off when when play resumed, it looked like a different team on Sunday morning compared to Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. And that did carry over uh, into the second game, I do believe. I, I thought that was a sign of things to come, especially now looking back in, in hindsight. But not only what they did offensively, what Seth Halverson provided on the mound, I thought at the end of that game gave them a spark and gave them a confidence going into the to, into the game too. And then also – even though they didn't score anymore after Dickey had that two-run single right out of the gates, they were still getting guys on base. And I, and in the sport of baseball, that can give you confidence, even if there aren't necessarily results to show for it. Even if it's frustrating, that can give you confidence. And I thought that you could see that in game two. I, I thought the way that they started, even though it resulted in a loss in game one, I think it kind of sparked them for game two. Yeah, absolutely. The rain delay helped us. The rain delay was 100% advantage balls because we came out slow. No, no way around it. Um, and so as a competitor, as you know, assuming we would have lost last night the same way we, we came and, and lost today when we finished game one, you want to, you want another stab at them like right now. And so the way today was set up, you had to wait an hour and a half. Whereas, you know, had we finished last night, we would have had to wait, um, and sleep on it. So you don't know if they would have came out the same way for game two had it been finished yesterday. We'll never know. They they may have won it either way, but I just think it was definitely an advantage to to get to the park, already be down, kind of be playing with house money a little bit. You know, you get back into the game, you build a little bit of momentum, and like you said, you you carry that over into game two and and get yourself back into the series. And, you know, it's interesting for, for me because – if you win game one, you obviously have the advantage. You're at 80%. But if you don't win game two, it's obviously not at 80% anymore for that team that won game one. And the the two that have already gone to game three and have finished, we still have Stanford and, and Texas playing in game two right now. But Oral Roberts and uh, Virginia, who are both going to Omaha, lost game one on, on Friday. They both won yesterday and then they both punched their ticket to Omaha today. So, you know, we'll see if that trend continues in terms of uh, Tennessee being the third team to reach Omaha, having lost their first game this Super Regionals. Um, there have been a fair amount of sweeps. So the teams that won Friday that also won Saturday obviously go to Omaha. But teams that forced game three, the team that won game two was the one to move on in both of the two that we've seen so far. Yeah, I wasn't shocked that that Southern Miss got out to a pretty good start because if you think about it, you put everything together there, Southern Miss, uh, you know, they get a super regional host last season and Ole Miss 
comes in there and just, you know, pantses them basically, you know, what, 15 nothing or whatever over the two games. They don't score a run. This season, some people were a little bit surprised that they got named the host over Tennessee. And so th- these guys, they- they've got phones. You can try to disconnect, but you- it's impossible. You can't. You, know, you-, you can you see everything. You hear everything or some of it. And, you know, they're, oh, why is Tennessee having to go to this podunk town? Doesn't even have an, doesn't have an Applebee's. Like, there's nothing going on there. Why is, why is Tennessee sitting underneath these bleachers for a rain delay? And, you know, your Southern Miss, like, that's bulletin board material easy, right? Like, and, and they're, they're, those fans are going to be hostile. They're, they're going to be ready to go. The players are going to be ready to go. I'm not surprised that Southern Miss kind of threw the first punch in this series. Um, and, and I, 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 the rain delay probably helps Tennessee because I would have said going into the series that Tennessee would punch back from that opening punch. Um, but I don't know if without the rain delay that would have happened in, in the first game. I'm just being oh. honest. It just didn't – things can change quickly, but it didn't look like Tennessee was 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 going to throw back a pretty good punch in that, in that game. Um, but then you get a night to sleep on it. You come back. You get a new, another bite at the apple. You're a little bit better. You know, that, that things can change quickly. I think Southern Miss, everything for this series, guys, everything, Southern Miss played this thing absolutely perfectly by holding Tanner Hall for the second game because they looked, they, they knew his, his, his wear and tear from the last weekend, and they looked at the weather report for, for Saturday, and they looked at that and said, mm, we're going to push Hall back a day because we don't want his game to be interrupted. Um, so you're running a risk there of having him throw an elimination game instead of the first game. But you win the first game, then you get a four nothing lead in the second game with an all American on the mound. Like Southern Miss played this perfectly, and then it just kind of evaporated. And so now Tennessee has all this momentum. Tennessee has a lot more pitching. Southern Miss is going to have to maybe Johnny Allstaff it tomorrow. We'll, we'll see. But you would imagine Tennessee's got more arms. Now Tennessee's got momentum. So I mean, this thing was played perfectly by Southern Miss. And yet they're still sitting here going, you know, disadvantaged going into the final game. So that's just with the two rosters, that's kind of how it is. But I just I want to if I were wearing a cap right now, I'd tip it because I think Southern Miss managed this thing really, really well. And it just just didn't go their way. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I do want to get into that here here in just a moment after we catch a break. But I did want to ask Will his thoughts on what wasn't working for Andrew Lindsay. I mean, that that to me was kind of a, a shocker that he wasn't the guy that we had seen pretty much since he became the the game one starter back in Arkansas. And, and look, it's baseball. You have those type of outings, but it, it just didn't seem like he had his pinpoint command that he's typically had these last two months, I, I guess it is. And and he really labored through that first inning, didn't get any help from, from Hunter Inslee out in center field, diving for a ball that he probably shouldn't have. I, I don't know what's up with center field. Inslee's had two balls that he dove for that he probably shouldn't have, and and, and even Southern Miss misplayed a, a ball out there in center field. I, I don't know if there's a an angle or or the deflection of the sun or the bleachers or something, but something's goofy out there uh, because that that's bitten both teams so far this week. But uh, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't seem like Lindsey was his didn't didn't have his typical pinpoint command. Yeah, it's it's harder to tell when you're not in the dugout and. From that angle, it's a little tougher to tell um, watching on TV, but you can see where where the pitch ends up, and he he was a bit off. I thought his sinker and or two-seamer, wh- whichever you want to call it, had the same amount of a run and, and had plenty of life. 
they put some really good swings on some tough pitches early and, and just didn't, like you said, he had to labor through that first inning. So you're kind of just, when that happens, you kind of need a couple quick ones after to get settled in. And he just couldn't get that for whatever reason. Um, and the ball was jumping uh, yesterday before the delay and they were able to elevate a few into the gap and run them out of there. Whereas, um, you know, we hit, we hit some ground balls and, and our, our, elevated swings were were weaker to be quite honest um but it was just kind of one of those days and i don't think it was the moment or 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 the situation i just think he kind of had a bad day at the wrong time because the dude's been super consistent for months like you said so i think you know if we are fortunate enough to win game three um then we'll see the andrew Lindsay of of the previous you know, 10 starts uh, when he goes, gets back on the bump in Omaha. And it'd have Tennessee to, will, he'd have to be, cause that'd be against schemes. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what I was about to say is Tennessee will need that Andrew Lindsay because it, it, it'll be against Paul Skeens. LSU won tonight, sweeping Kentucky in the Baton Rouge super regional to advance to Omaha. Tennessee will look to advance to Omaha on Monday afternoon. My days are all over the place and all out of, out of whack. Uh, but Tennessee will look to advance to Omaha on Monday in the afternoon, in the evening, late at night. Who the heck knows? Maybe it's Tuesday after more weather comes through Hattiesburg. Uh, but we will preview that winner-take-all game three here in just a moment. But we'll be, we do need to catch a break here on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by former Tennessee pitcher Will Heflin and the great Wes Rucker. Before we continue our conversation here on the podcast, I would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the pod wherever you do get your pod. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, in trying to not stumble through my words this segment, I will quickly toss it to Wes and ask you, Wes, how do you see the game, this game three, winner take all on Monday from a psychological standpoint? I find it very interesting. And, and you spoke about this for a brief moment a, a second ago. Both teams are in the same spot that they were in last year, uh, be it a super regional. Tennessee a little bit different because it went to game three and Southern Miss was swept last year. But you would think that neither team has the the leg up because they both have the experience 
of being in this situation and coming up short. So I'm curious to see if any team benefits from that experience in the past or whether it just kind of washes itself out. Well, if you're going to have to split a doubleheader and it's not the end of a series, you would always rather, if you have to wear one, you'd rather wear one in the first one. You don't want to wear one in game two. I mean, that's, that, that that changes momentum going into game three for for sure. So you don't you you'd rather be in Tennessee's position, I think, than Southern Miss's. But but I think that this is one thing that you know I knew that Southern Miss came from the the losers bracket last weekend. What I forgot was that Southern Miss actually lost its first game in the regional. So Southern Miss did what just very few teams rarely ever do, which is lose the first game in the regional, come all the way back and win the thing. Like that's just. You know, Will's been on a team that's tried to do that. It's a really, really hard thing to do, and you just don't see very often, especially when you're playing a ranked team, a good team, in their ballpark is the first part of that. So Southern Miss has already played four elimination games, like four games that if they lost them, they're they're going home. So I don't think – and those were all on the road. So unless they just feel more pressure playing at home, I think that – I don't think their nerves will be a problem going into the game. So I think mentally it's kind of – kind of a wash i mean what's that old skip Bertman quote just i'd rather score first in a big game like i just let me score first and i'll feel good about things and if i don't then i won't but um, i I think it's tennessee physically has more uh, in the tank it has more you know arms it has more legs it has more all of these things but southern miss is also a really good team and it's playing at home and it's had to win four games to keep its season going already this year so I think it's a slight edge to Tennessee, but I don't think it's like a, a major one. I really don't. I mean, we saw last season in the Super Regional, right? Tennessee comes back and, you know, has some momentum and then goes into – and we all know what happens, right? I, I mean, it, it's that's baseball. But, um, you know, I think I'd rather be in Tennessee's position probably than Southern Misses, but it's close. I totally agree there, but that's a massive point for me, scoring first. Um you know, we haven't scored first in either game this weekend, but we were able to score first in all three last weekend. Um, and it's a big game like that. You got to score first. This is where I feel good. Um, we have the same guy going as a sophomore who didn't get the job done as a freshman, um, was freshman of the year, uh, freshman All-American, Drew Beam. I know you think very highly of him, Wes, as do Ben and I. Um, <laughs> I I don't know if there's a guy I'd rather have out there, to, to be quite honest. Um, I love me some Drew Beam. He, he was quarterback in high school. I say it all the time. He was QB1. I think he has the, the leadership personality um, to really kind of take over this team next year as a junior. Um so why not start tomorrow and send the balls to Omaha? I just I, – I really like him. I think he's he's a power guy who's disguised as a finesse guy because he's not throwing 100. But, you know, on this staff, if you don't throw 100, you're, I guess you're not a power guy. So, you know, his measly 94-96 will be on full display tomorrow. But if he's got Uncle Charlie like he had in the regionals, I feel really good because that curveball was – was on point. So however he was spinning it, I don't know if it was a grip change, if it was, you know, the the weather in, in Clemson gave him a different, uh, you know, feel of the ball, different humidity, 
whatever it was, the laces are different on these postseason balls. I don't know. Whatever it was, bring that with you uh, to Hattiesburg and we'll be in good shape. Yeah, he was able to use that in the first inning too in the last start. I mean, it's not like he went through fastball heavy for the first lineup, you know, rotation and then he kind of mixed it up. He was very early on throwing like at least 50% breaking balls because that thing he was placing it wherever he wanted it was if he's got that pitch going then yeah that's that's southern miss is gonna have to run into some balls to have a good day yeah i just think he's gonna be extra determined you know because he's in the same spot he was last year go ahead ben no don't don't let me get in the way of you speaking your gospel uh i was gonna just add that i think tennessee without a doubt has the i'd rather be in tennessee shoes than southern miss shoes just from from a pure pitching standpoint i i think because of the way the game played out because of of tanner hall not being able to give southern miss the distance that it is used to and and having to to use and, and tax its bullpen probably more than it anticipated and and it, i mean guys were getting hot there in the third fourth inning with chase dolander on the mound and all of a sudden he's practically throwing a complete game and chase burns goes out there and throws 10 pitches not six and all of a sudden, the the pitching staff is in great shape. I mean, Seth Alverson, he's probably not available after throwing 40 pitches, but maybe he could come in and get you a guy or get you a couple outs if, if need be. But obviously, he's not going to be at the top of the totem pole. Uh, Camden Sewell threw 17 pitches. You know he'll be geared up, ready to go. Heck, I even wonder, Andrew Lindsay only threw 78 pitches. If if you need to, to get a guy, need an inning, if, if for some reason – you're you're trying to to eat innings if if Drew Beam isn't able to to turn in a a couple of innings, then I think Lindsey might be available depending on the situation. But Tennessee is just so far ahead of of Southern Miss in terms of advantage when it comes to arms. I mean, I, I think they're the in the driver's seat going into this series finale finale. And Tennessee did announce right before we press record that Drew Beam will start, and Southern Miss is throwing a righty Nico Maza. Uh, who is who has started a, a fair amount of games uh, for them this season? This will be his 13th start. He's five and one with a 4.13 ERA. Opponents hitting 2.33 off of him, and he has 42 walks, 84 strikeouts, and 69.2 innings. Nice. Yeah. So nice. I think that's why you got to feel good, Wes. Is, is I, I think there's a distinct advantage, and in a perfect world, it's Drew Beam and then Camden Sewell, Chase Burns to finish it out. Yeah, I think there's a couple things I really like, uh, three things I really like about Beam in this situation. Two of them that Will mentioned were his mentality, for for one. It's just, you know, it's he, he probably has some uh, so, some some nerves and some anxiety. You just never see it because he just doesn't carry himself that way. He If he's got him, he hides it really well. Uh, number two is the experience from last season, and that's got to be kind of a motivating factor. And number three and I'll say this one very, very quietly, um, but with Drew Beam, you kind of know early on what kind of day it's going to be. Like if he's doesn't if he doesn't have his best stuff, like Beam, uh, it doesn't usually historically get a lot better. But when he's on early, he is on. And so in a game like that, where you know that much is on the line, you probably have to think about making early hooks if you need to and I hope for his sake he's not listening to this but he needs to be out there thinking I'm going to go throw nine innings of a I'm going to go throw a perfect game of course he should think like that but with beam when he doesn't have a best his best days they you can kind of tell them they don't get better 
usually. So that's something that in his career, he will have to probably develop that and get better in those kind of situations. Like we've seen Lindsay do. And like we've seen Dolander do kind of shake off some bad starts and get going uh, later on. But I, I really like that, that with being like, if he's early, if he's on early, everybody's going to feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof because when he's on early, it, he's usually really, really good. Yeah, that's a that's a fair statement. But also, he's throwing game three, so there's typically a shorter leash. So agreed, he may not agreed. have he may not have that that opportunity to kind of settle back in because it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. hey, this is game three. We're we're throwing the kitchen yep. sink. Um, but tomorrow is no different at all. Uh, it, in fact, he's probably got you know even shorter leash because, like Ben said, you've got Burns dialed up, who's probably going to be able to go seventy five. 80 plus pitches tomorrow mm-hmm. if needed. Yep. I think Sewell can easily give you three, maybe four if needed, at least one time through the lineup. And if that doesn't get you where you need to go, you're probably not getting there anyway. Um, so, you know, I think the big thing for me is, is I really, really, if I had it my way, would want to throw the first punch. It doesn't have to be a four spot. Certainly doesn't have to be a six spot, but give us one in the first three innings, first time through, show us something to get in the fight early because tomorrow the emotions love it or hate it. You're not hiding from it. The emotions are going to be high. It's going to be tense. Somebody's got to make a swing or put together a couple at bats to let the rest of the crew settle in and, and kind of feel like, you know, we're, we're just playing a baseball game now. Yeah. I'd rather be the home team than the away team. But the thing that sucks about that is, is Dustin Dickerson will get an AB before Tennessee gets a chance to go up there and swing. So that 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 that's been dangerous for anyone facing him this entire postseason. That guy's just on a an unbelievable heater right now. So I mean that that's you you might, you might get a little puckered up when, when for that at bat, but you know, if if you can shut him down early, you feel good. Yeah, and he's he's on another level. If he wasn't playing Tennessee, I'd be super excited to watch him hit. Um but, you know, we're, we're all three in agreement that Tennessee has the advantage tomorrow from a pitching standpoint. Where we clearly don't have an advantage is being at home. We may be the home team, but we're not at home. So, you know, I just – got to acknowledge the fact that um, the crowd is going to be behind Southern Miss. So that's part of the reason you got to punch them in the mouth early is to try to keep that crowd at bay because if, if they take the lead um, – and, and build momentum, then we're going to have to do something really special like we were able to do in game two, but you can't expect to do that every single game. And, and Wes, to, to Will's point, I, I think as weird as it sounds, I think with the way Tennessee came back in one game two with some stuff that was going on in the stands, I think Tennessee has gotten comfortable in Hattiesburg, as odd as that sounds. Like, like they've found – their niche here they they found a little bit of f you to them uh, a little bit of uh, aggression and have found how they've they've figured out how far they can walk how, how close they can get to that line and tow that line without it being too much so like yeah it'll be a tough environment Absolutely. You'd much rather be playing in, in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. But I think now kind of all the 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 newness and the shock of being somewhere you've never been and, and it being rowdy and whatnot, that that should all be out the window at that at this point, in in my opinion. And, and I think, again, with the way today's games went and, and with everything going on in the crowd, I, I don't. I'd be kind of surprised if if they get shell shocked. Not saying that that's at all what Will was alluding to, 
but I, I expect them to be ready from the jump, just like they were today. I think you saw they were ready for the jump and they were kind of used to the environment from, from the moment, you know, Southern Miss towed the rubber uh, to get today's game resumed. I think also one big part of it was, you know, I don't care who hits that home run when, when Burke hits the home run. Like if anybody hits the ball, especially stings one like that, you're going to get juiced, right? You're going to get juiced in the dugout. You're going to feel good. But when it's Blake Burke and he hadn't hit a home run in about six weeks and all of a sudden he goes back, he goes into the the, the phone booth, comes back out as Superman and does that Superman swing again, um, that changes things in a hurry. That changes the entire complexion of, you know, one day at a time, so win this game. But that maybe changes the complexion of a lot of things over the next 10 days too. When he is doing that, that lineup looks a lot longer and it looks a lot deeper and it looks much more problematic because there are some guys who when you're just you're on you you play you play with them or or they they just when they do something big people get fired up. They just do. And Burke with the sound of the ball that that comes off the bat when he hits it, the distance he can hit it. I mean, he's a dude that can fire up your dugout, can silence the other dugout, can clench up their butt cheeks pretty tight. Like, he can change things quickly. And I don't want to make too much of it because it's one day, but what did he do in the at-bat after that too? Blast the one off the center field wall. If he is really going to be back now, that changes the entire thing. Because I didn't think, I'll be honest, I didn't think he would bounce back that strong this season. He always knew he had the ability, but when you get into a rut like that, and it, for some reason, it always seems worse with lefties than righties. I don't know why it just does. But when you get in one of those funks, it just it, it, it just seems like a nightmare. And he had a couple games where he hit, hit a couple singles here and there. He had some decent at-bats. But he really hadn't put a charge into a fair ball in a long time. And that one swing, I, I mean, I don't know how the rest of that day goes if he doesn't hit that ball. I don't know how the series goes. I don't know how the season goes. Because when Tennessee gets that from him, all of a sudden, that lineup has another place that just terrifies you. And and that that was big. And maybe it was just one swing, but I don't think it was. If he's back, I think that changes everything. And they're throwing a righty tomorrow, too. Southern Miss is to start the game. So, you know, I mean, they usually probably have more righties than lefties at this point. So, because if they'd had good lefties, they'd have been throwing them a couple more of them in the past couple games. I mean, they threw their big guy. Um, in, in the, the to close out the the first game, and you know that guy, he's good, man. That six seven lefty, he's got stuff. He's really really good. The ball comes from you know about three stories down on you. I, I mean it, he's good, and he's out the way probably unless it's to come in one time and face Burke probably. So um, yeah, I mean I, I think that changes this entire complexion because he can quiet a stadium in a hurry. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you can I don't know if you can under or I don't know if you can overstate that. I don't think you're inaccurate in saying that that was a massive swing. And, you know, maybe if, if you're Coach Vitello, you're like, well, Will and West, calm down. It was one swing. But, you know, we're, we're fans, so we can get into that. We can kind of dig into that a little bit. That swing was massive. And we've still only – that's still the only home run we've hit this weekend. Like, they've out-homered us, what, five to one? Is it five? Four or five, they hit, yeah. They hit four in the first game, I think. They were mostly solos, which you can live with, you know, more than a three-run like that. But if you would have told me beforehand, hey, you're only going to have one homer, 
they're going to have five and it's going to be one to one headed to Monday, I'd say something good must have happened elsewhere because it's not just Tennessee. I know Tennessee fans kind of think feels like we're all or nothing. And maybe part of that is, is Lindsey Nelson and just the amount of home runs we've seen from the program in the past three years. But it's like that across the country now, like the long ball is a huge part of the game. And if it's not there, it's really hard to score because pitcher stuff is so good. Like you mentioned the lefty. So, um, you know, I just think you have to take advantage of the good pitches you get to hit, which is why there there's, you know, BT Ryapel from Florida had like eight hits in the regional. And I think, uh, or in postseason, and like six of them are homers. So it's just, I mean, that's, that's productive. So I think, you know, the, the long ball is certainly a big part of the game. So certainly wouldn't hate to hit a few more tomorrow and make that spread. Um, you know, we don't have to hit more than them to beat them, obviously, but if we can hit a couple more, maybe have a couple guys on when we do it, then I think we're going to be in a really good spot. Yeah. Ryo Pell right now is like my former colleague, um, former coworker and still good friend, Grant Ramey, like a, in the tee box, like with a driver in his hand. Like it, it's either going to be an absolute missile down the middle of the fairway, just beautiful or someone might die like like that that's you know that that's what Ryopel's doing right now but that's baseball right that's a little bit the at the MLB level too I mean it's just that's pitchers are so freaking good nowadays that if you're not you know the 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 plus velocity can help you square up a ball maybe it can go a little farther when you hit it um but you're you're striking out a lot more and I, I don't blame hitters because pitchers are unbelievable man like guys who you know, Drew Beam would have been a, one of the biggest power pitchers in college baseball, like what a decade ago, and, and now he's like a finesse guy on his own staff because Five he only ago. throws ninety six. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but it's it's just hard to it's hard to hit that stuff, man. I mean, in the science of it, guys are getting bigger, stronger. They're able to use technology to learn how to disguise pitches better. Like it, it's ridiculous these days. I mean, for the guys who can still find ways to get people out at like the Grinkies and people like that who are finding different ways to get guys out. They're magicians to do what they do because it's, it's just, you don't see it a lot. Well, and Will, you and I have talked about it a ton recently. And I know I, I think I said this uh, coming into the weekend and, and I know I talked about Christian Moore going into the Clemson regional, but to me, like first things first, defense has to, to stay out of its own way. And Drew Beam, Camden Sewell, Chase Burns, that trio that they've got to they've got to be themselves. That they got to lead the way. Them and the defense, they have to lead the way. The offense can't go ice cold. And for me, if the offense is going to avoid going ice cold, Christian Moore and Jared Dickey have to be in the middle of it. It's 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 a different offense when those two guys are clicking. And it's really as simple as that. You you saw it today. I know Blake Burke had the big hit, but who immediately responded to that big inning? from Southern Miss. It was Christian Moore, I believe it was first pitch, second pitch of the inning, cranking a double that just stayed fair into the left field corner. Those two guys, and then Jared Dickey, aside from the Burke Homer, he had the two biggest hits of the day. I know the first one to kind of start the day didn't result in a win, but it was still a big hit that gave Tennessee a lot of momentum, gave them life, and then he came back in uh, the second game and talking about that weird center field stuff earlier, he smokes a two- run single back up the middle uh, and then it turns into uh, a little league triple because of the error and a basis clearing base hit uh, because of what happened there in, in center field those two guys have to be in the middle of the offense tomorrow 
Yeah, th- there's yeah. there's very few guys in college baseball right now I'd rather have at the plate than Jared Dickey. Like, I mean, I obviously take Dylan Cruz. There's a couple guys that, that sorry, Jared Dickey. There's a couple of dudes I'd be like, okay, yeah, give me that guy. But I mean, if you're in a big spot and you absolutely need something, dude, I Jared Dickey would be on the really short list uh, of guys who you would trust to give you a good at bat. I think. Yeah, he's in the top five, top three, maybe. Yep. Um, yep. But that's his personality. Like he has kind of emerged as the leader of the team. He's does things the right way on and off the field. He's kind of got a little bit of um, scrappy personality to him. It's weird. He he almost looks like that that scrapper leadoff type hitter at the plate. Yeah. But then he squares one up, and he's he's got juice to all fields. So many so, moving parts. Would that not annoy you when you're pitching against him? Does that not just annoy the hell out of you? I mean, there are so many hitches and moving parts in his like routine, in his swing. It just everything looks weird. Well, he first of all, you want to talk about a guy that's developed in college. He didn't look like that his freshman year, which was which was 2021. Um, so first off, for him to to improve and just grow the way he has is impressive in its own right. But secondly, he's always had such good hands and hand eye. And I remember Elander talking about him when he was going to get red shirted. He was like, keep an eye on him for sure, because he's one of the best recruiter, one of the best hitters I've recruited. He said that to some of the older guys and we're like, okay, you know, he wasn't really going to be in the mix his first year, but then he just explodes onto the scene as a sophomore, changed his body, and you really saw that swing come out. But, yeah, his hand-eye is so good. He's just a nightmare in the box. And, you know, it was a little bit better for me because I'm I'm lefty. But, heck, he hits lefties better than any other lefty in our lineup. So it's like he's, he's kind of one of those – I wouldn't say reverse split guys like Trey Morgan, but he's you know, certainly has good numbers regardless of who's thrown, and it's because he doesn't care to hit it to left field, right field, center field. He'll hit it backwards six times if he needs to. He's just not going to go away easy, and if we can get a lineup full of guys with Jared Dickey-type at-bats, that's when you see the 12 spots from the Tennessee lineup. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when when Grant Williams was being recruited by Rick Barnes, and Rick Barnes told him, because Grant was a was a, a chunkier kid back then and, and it, when he was in, in high school, and, and Barnes said, Kid, you have no idea how athletic you are. You have no idea. You will do things if you listen to me and you get after it with Garrett Maidenwald. You have no idea what you're going to look like in a couple of years. It will amaze you. You don't even have the slightest idea how athletic you are. And Dickie, what lost like what like a second grader's worth of weight like in a year? I mean, that's just unbelievable and just completely changed everything. He still kind of, if I'm being honest, looks goofy when he's running around just because he's one of those guys who. You know, there's fluid athletes, right? Like guys who, like, you remember, like, Arian Foster when we played running back at Tennessee, guys who just kind of glide around. And then there's guys who just kind of, they don't look the same. Like, Dickey, it surprises you how quickly he moves and how well he moves because it doesn't look like he's doing it. But he is doing it. It's just you have to look at the watch and not, like, your eyes when you're looking at it because it's just ama- it amazes me consistently how how much more athletic he is than he looks like he is. Yeah, he had a lot of, I guess you wouldn't say baby fat, or, but I don't want to, you know, put the guy down. He was certainly an athlete and, you know, showed plenty enough to get to get recruited to to Tennessee. So there was obviously, you know, some athleticism there. No, I, I just – He no, didn't I, even look I, like not, the I, same guy. I'm not saying he's like – I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like when he runs, like the hitch in his motion, like it doesn't look like he's gliding out there. I just mean like oh. it – no, no, it just looks like he's, he's kind of herky-jerky, like he has all these kind of weird like idiosyncratic movements. Like it doesn't look like he's just gliding out there, but he gets there in a hurry. Yeah, he's not Max Ferguson 
um, yeah, who go. is one of the smoothest dudes running around the bases yes. I've seen. Yes. But yeah, no, he he does the same quirky hitches all over the field. I I don't know, but it works. Yeah. But he hit. I guess it was it was either this year or last year. He had a walk off, and they ripped his shirt off, and I was like, holy smokes! Like he yeah. is shredded. Yeah. And it's just not even the same human being that showed up to Knoxville. So, you know, Quinn Everhart obviously does a lot of things right in the weight room, but you also have to eat right and do things right when you're not on campus to make that kind of transition. So, um, you know, can't say enough. It takes, it takes that, you know, and there's not a lot of program guys anymore because of the transfer portal, but guy came in, sat out a year and then got better and got in the mix. So hats off to him. But going to be a second or third round pick. Before we get out of here, any thoughts on what else has happened uh, around the country? I mean, heck, Omaha is already practically set at this point. By the time we finally get to sit down and, and chop it up, uh, Stanford looks like it's on the verge of evening up that series. They're up 5-3 in the top of the eighth. Um, I believe they're the only other series ongoing mm-hmm. if if Stanford does win that game in addition uh, to Tennessee. So we'll, we'll start with you. I know, I know you've been keeping an eye on all the money lines and, and who the favorites are this weekend. Uh, what stuck out to you about the rest of the NCAA tournament this weekend? Well, I will toot my own horn and say I was right with my Oral Roberts pick. So congratulations to them going to Omaha. That is a tough, tough bunch. They've won like 50 games this year. Lost a heartbreaker in game one to Oregon and came back. Uh, in game two, won a crazy contest and then sealed the deal today. So that was good to see a program like that, you know, get to Omaha. It's always nice to see those stories as a fan. Um, TCU stays hot, one of the hottest teams in the country. They sweep Indiana State. Wake Forest handles Bama, which, you know, after I said it in our other podcast that I was kind of rooting for Bama, when I started watching the games, I I wasn't. Um so, you know, good for them for making the run, but, you know, I don't feel bad for them. It's Alabama. Um, Florida handles South Carolina. They're going to be a tough out in Omaha. And Louisiana State with Paul Skeens, they look like they found some pieces in the bullpen, and that lineup ain't going anywhere. Um, you want to talk about a heavyweight matchup. If we get there and you've got Andrew Lindsay and Paul Skeens, Game one of them. I don't want to. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But man, that would be exciting to watch if uh, if Tennessee got another crack at them. Certainly, certainly would be tough. But I think every baseball eye in America would have their eyes on that game. Yeah. The the first thing I was thinking was that my my heart really goes out to Oregon, man. I mean, I know a couple people around that program, and there's some good people. There's a lot of good people around that university, and. To be one pitch away from Omaha and then just have the have it pulled right up under you like that, especially after you come back and erase an eight nothing deficit in game one, and you look like you're going to Omaha for the first time in like seventy years, or actually to be honest, sixty nine years. Nice, um, it, it, it that you hurt right? Like as a human being, you hurt to watch that. And you know, I, I know what podcast I'm talking on here, but with, with the stuff those Alabama guys have been through. Uh, to get to a super regional, pretty neat, honestly. I know. Sorry, I'm ducking for cover here, but I mean, I you know, it's not like it, it was like a like a personal anguish kind of situation, but like those kids kind of been through it this season, and, and it's good good for them to do to do that. Oral Roberts, obviously, um, and and the, one of the people I knew around the Oregon program told me that first day, even though Oregon came back, 
He's like, dude, that team's really good. He said that's he, – he was saying we because he works at Oregon. He's like, that's the best team that, that we've seen all year. I'm serious. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. Like they really are pretty pretty good. Um, and they have some arms. They got some guys. Like they, they look good. LSU, like Will said, they're still not a team um, that I think I would – I'd be more uncomfortable facing LSU than any other team in the field just because of the – when the bottom part of that LSU lineup is is doing damage, I don't know where you run for cover. It's kind of like facing Tennessee last season. You just can't hide. Like, there's nowhere to hide. Um, and now they're pitching it a little bit too. So, uh, And Florida has been the more consistent team between those two all year. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks to me like the for the most part, the right teams are going to Omaha in terms of the way they're playing right now. Um, but you know Tennessee could could do a lot of damage if Tennessee can get there with Tennessee's pitching staff. Man, it's just you know it, it's 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 the same thing that we're talking about going into the season that we'd be talking about at the end of the season. We're talking about LSU's lineup and we're talking about Tennessee's pitching staff. And it's weird that things end up being what we thought they would be, even though it you know kind of meandered around a little bit. LSU was kind of eh, are they really that good? Tennessee was like whoa, are they really that good? Like maybe they're not. And then at the end of the year, maybe it's like, okay, now now this is kind of what we thought it would be. It took a weird way to get there, but I mean, it's it could be there now. And I mean, that'd be a hellacious, you know, opener in the College World Series if Tennessee can take care of Southern Miss. But Southern Miss, anytime you've won four elimination games already in one postseason, you're a dangerous team, man. You're a dangerous team. I don't know. I, I don't know, Will, if I've been more impressed with Florida, LSU, or Wake Forest this weekend. Wake. Wake is the best team in the country, and no one talks about them because they have the one-seed curse. Um, If it got broken this year, it wouldn't surprise me. They have steamrolled everyone. Literally. In their their path uh, since the regionals started. They didn't win the ACC championship. The uh, Clemson Tigers were the ACC champions, but I – Oh yeah, they're not playing anymore. Um, yeah, I Wes, I will say this about Alabama: it's not Alabama football or basketball. It's not even the same. We don't play them every year. We have bigger rivals in this sport than Alabama, so I, our animosity towards them is from other sports. I was a hundred percent rooting for them in their. In There's likable dudes on that team too, um, man. There's fun guys. They are likable. I played against most of those guys, like. Andrew Pinkney, stud, never once did anything to make you not like the guy. Plays the game super hard. Caden Rose is a freaking bulldog. And for that to happen to them and for them to go on that type of run, like nothing to hang your head about. Congratulations to Alabama baseball. Good season. You ran into the best team in the country, and they did what they were supposed to do. So, you know, and then the one team we haven't talked about is Virginia. And they dropped they dropped game one to a very scorching hot Duke team, mm-hmm. and then won game two and three in convincing fashion. That's a team that's won it before. They know how to win when they get there. Um, they obviously stuck it to us in Omaha in game one when they had um, you know the the other Gilof brother, I believe, yeah. and uh, you know they just. They've got some crazy offensive numbers and, and it's Andrew Abbott who is shoving for the Reds right now. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, that's a good program. You got to respect that. And, 
you know, them in Florida is kind of another super heavyweight battle. But TCU Oral Roberts is kind of like the who's hotter matchup. And then, you know, once you get to Omaha, it's it's insane. It's it's just really hard to predict, um, which is why you see Mississippi versus Oklahoma in the final last year. And NC State would have won it the year before had they not gone through COVID. So I'm sure we'll have uh, different discussions when we get to the when we get to the final two, I just hope that one of the teams is wearing orange. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather be on the other side of that bracket than the one Tennessee's on, but there's nowhere to hide in Omaha anyway. But 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 that side of the bracket looks, I think, a little bit tougher than the other side. I mean, and, and that's because LSU is a different team when Skeens is and is not pitching. They're still really, really, really damn good when he's not pitching. But when he's pitching, it's just, I mean, you know, I mean, it, the, it, no one, everyone knew the guy was good, but like this good, to add like seven, eight miles an hour to an already good fastball, just insane what, what he's done this season. Um, but so you, you, you'd rather really not have that matchup. But, hey, um, you know, t- Tennessee it has a couple guys who could maybe do some damage if it gets there, if it gets there. Speaking of that if, Will, final thoughts going into a winner-take-all game three with a trip to the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska on the line. It's right there in front of you, man, but it's a really hard game against a really good team. So I'm just – I'm really excited to watch. Um, I'm kind of nervous. I'm more nervous now watching than I was as a player. It doesn't make any sense. Like, this sucks. I'm like, am I going to have to deal with this for 50 years now that I watch Tennessee baseball when as a player I could just get ready for the game and as soon as the anthem was over I was good to go? It's like, whatever. But – no, I am I feel good about it because of like I said, Drew Beam, give me a couple runs early and I will I will feel really good. I think Tennessee's ability to win the crazy one really helps us. For whatever reason, a Tony Vitello team, if there's dramatics, Tennessee will kind of come out somehow, some way. Our losses are always so uh anticlimactic. Like, if it feels anticlimactic tomorrow, I won't feel good. If there's some crazy stuff happening, maybe some tempers flare, maybe some back and forth, we're winning. We're winning. But, you know, I, I'm i nervous. I don't know. I don't I don't get it. That's pretty common. Most guys, when they – after they get done playing, plus you just get older and things change and, you know, you, you, you it, it, it becomes different as soon as the spikes get, get put up on the shelf. Like, it, it, things just get different. Like, you'll, you'll be nervous probably – like you said, for the next 50 years of watching Tennessee baseball. But but uh, I, I think that – I think Tennessee will win the game. I think Tennessee has more going for it. But if Southern Miss gets a couple runs early, I mean, Tennessee could come back. But phew, that's that's going to be a really hostile place. There's going to be a lot of a lot of, a lot lot of of juice there. I mean, a Sun Belt team can kind of – when you're kind of in, one, in an arena like that, your own home, playing an SEC team, you can kind of rise up to the challenge in a, in a one-off and you can, you can be really good. And they're good to begin with. So – um, I, I think Tennessee is is favored for a reason. I think Tennessee has more going for it, but I mean, nothing would surprise me. But if you, you put a gun to my head, I say Tennessee wins. I think it's minus one ninety tomorrow, Ben. Yeah, Tennessee is is the favorite. Tennessee minus one ninety. I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Which is saying something, considering it's a, a road game for Tennessee. They, they'd be pretty heavy favorites if it, if it were a. A home game so I, I that is very interesting I, I do think Tennessee is obviously the favorite I said it earlier I, I think Tennessee is certainly has the advantage from a p- 
pitching standpoint, and I think that's what you need this time of year. And you just don't need the offense to go ice cold. I, I think Tennessee's gotten comfortable down here in Hattiesburg, and, and I'd be surprised if the offense did go cold. So I, I think Tennessee will win tomorrow, and uh, Will Heflin will be scrambling to find a way out to Omaha uh, next week for a, a Paul Skeens-Andrew Lindsay pitching matchup. Will, Wes, certainly appreciate you. Anytime, man. Guys, thanks for letting me tag along. Enjoyed it. He's Will Heflin. He's Wes Rucker. I'm Ben McKee. We'll have plenty of coverage of Tennessee and Southern Miss Game 3 in the Hattiesburg Super Regional on GoVols247.com all throughout the day, Monday and into the night and morning. Appreciate everybody listening and hope you enjoy your week. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at govals247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough 
people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.